Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Oh, Adam. One of those weeks. (laughs) Sure is, pal. I don't want to start the show with poop material, but... (laughs) We usually save that for uh, mid-roll, right? Yeah, right. We break in in the middle of the show. Uh-huh. You're a man who's in conflict with the other end of his uh, of his body, oftentimes. Constant conflict, Ben. I've been having a bit of a week like that. Hmm. Makes me uh, makes me empathize. I accidentally had cheese last night. <laughs> what did you slip and fall into some feta? Well, sometimes you'll get a salad with some with some cheese in it, and that's uh-huh. not that's not like a an above the title thing that is. In, in the description of a salad. And so uh, I had a little bit of a cheesy salad or, and or a cheesy dressing to go along with it, and I'm still still feeling it. I'm sorry, dude. What, what happened to you? Are you just, uh, is this a food-related thing or a stress-related thing or a... See, the thing, the thing I, know, I know I shouldn't envy you, but the <laughs> thing I envy almost about... goes with that saying. <laughs> the thing I envy about you is that you often can trace causality to a specific thing you ate. And I never can. Like, sometimes I'll have sick booty, and it's just a total mystery why that happened. That booty's so sick. One of my favorite things that, not to just say a joke somebody else said, but one of my favorite things John Gabriel's ever said is uh, when it takes a dump, it's like them emptying the crab pots on Deadliest Catch. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the craps and craps episode he did a while ago? Uh, it, I think I think he said that on a live episode of Doughboys, uh, but I have to go back to make sure. <laughs> it's but, uh, so I great. Had a, I had a day like that, and I was laughing while committing the act because I had gotten up from watching an episode of Daily, Deadliest Catch to do it. It's such so. a genius description because of the wetness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a, like, I have to disrobe and take a shower now kind of situation. <laughs> oh, but enough about my butt, Adam. <laughs> I have a stack of Star Trek Deep Space Nine trading cards in packages here in front of me, and I am kind of hankering to open these. Yeah, let's talk about uh, things that are stuck together instead of uh, <laughs> instead of popcorning. I guess instead of things that are loose. <laughs> right. The game is five cards stuck. The game is exceedingly simple. Or this is just the card data. Time to pluck a pigeon. Ben, I've got uh, I've got nine packs left, and I'm gonna propose that we just blow through them all. Oh shit! What do you think about that? Trading card binge. All right. Let's do it. Hell yeah! I got a really good quality card with Morn on the front here. <laughs> That's a good start. From the Emissary Part 2. Just a nice, seated Mona Lisa portrait of Morn. I got Paradise on the cover. It's the story of O'Brien and Cisco and that, and that hot box. Uh-huh. 
And the uh, and the lady with the lubricant. That lady that wants to be Goshevin? We should be writing the episode capsules for Netflix. <laughs> Paradise! An episode about a hot box, a lady with some lubricant. Yeah. What we need what we need is like a high power shit kicking Hollywood agent to kick down the door at Netflix and say, I got two young, up and coming talents, but what they really want to do is rewrite some captions for you guys. How'd you like to be on the ground level of something no one cares about? <laughs> uh, I got an a- allies and aliens, an enemy character, name of Wayun. I'm cracking these cards when I open them, and it and it sounds like cracking knuckles. <laughs> They're getting more and more stuck together. Well, it's hotter now. Maybe maybe it's the humidity in the air. Whoa, Ben! I got a special card. Really? It is. I would say it's double thick and it has got a see-through panel of it it's terry farrell as lieutenant Shit. commander jadzia dax it's one of those like you hold up into the light and then you can see it what looks like film wow like is a, it a piece of is film it a cell but of film from the show it can't be because it just looks like an eight by ten like it, hmm. it looks like a portrait oh but you could like you could like tease it out of the card and go take it yeah. to a a photo studio and have them develop it for you? It's a landscape aspect card. Uh, oh. It just says the complete Star Trek Deep Space Nine gallery and it's G5 is the name of the card. I would say the only remarkable card in this pack that I just opened is for an episode called Trials and Tribulations and it's a shot of Quark with a tribble on his head. On his head? Yeah. Well, that's isn't that isn't that just hilarious? That's ample real estate. <laughs> Dude does have a melon. Oh, I got a wharf card in here. Wharf in an episode called "By Inferno's Light." Sometimes I forget that Wharf is on the way to this show. Wharf is like the only thing keeping me going, man. <laughs> we gotta get to Wharf. I know. Things will be better once Wharf gets here, right? Yeah, things will be better once Wharf gets here. That's one of the main things about Wharf. The two packs I just opened each contain three cards on repeat. Three three of the same cards. Profit and Lace, The Ship, and The Alternate. I got I got I got two copies of each of those from just the last two packs I opened. I love The Ship. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a Seinfeld episode. I have allies and enemies Locutus of Borg. Whoa. Would not have expected him, but I guess in the Emissary Part 1, he plays kind of a role. Yeah. Yeah, he's in that episode. (laughs) And introducing Locutus of Borg. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) a man who needs no introduction... He's like uh, he's like babies who get cast. Like Lacutus of Borg is played by uh, <laughs> Tony and Eric Stewart. Yeah, uh, the uh, the union rules mean that the kids can't be on set for as long. So you, right. al- you always cast twins. Got a card for the begotten here. Uh, the picture for the begotten is a Bajoran mom holding up a Bajoran baby who is covered in birth goo. Ew. Tells a story. These cards are falling apart as I pull them apart. Yeah. The ink from the front tends to stick a little bit to the to the back. That's the problem. 
It's like buying a new car. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's losing value. <laughs> losing I think value. As, as soon as you open these cards, they're losing value. <laughs> I mean, it's arguable that they had value to begin with, but... <laughs> How many packs you got left? Um, I have... I have three left. I have four, so I better get, get going. Ooh, allies and enemies... Michael Eddington, an enemy. This is a uh, fellow with uh, male pattern baldness in a uh, kind of a kind of a loose fitting t-shirt and then a motorcycle jacket over it. Where are you going on that motorcycle, Michael Eddington? <laughs> I got a card that looks like uh, the box art. It just says Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and it's a smiley Avery Brooks, and then in sort of like a Sears portrait studio. Dude, uh, I have effect, the same card. There's there's Kalamini over his shoulder. Oh, I have uh, I have that, but with the space station over his shoulder. Card number one. That's what this card says. Wow! Congratulations. And I also got a Silver Ships of the Dominion War card. This is card S four. Looks vaguely special. <laughs> I don't think I've had I, this costume card. I feel like was was a lie. God, I want that costume card real bad. Cause like, where is it if not here? God, I keep getting the begotten and the goo baby. <laughs> Ew. I've gotten like four goo babies. No more goo babies cards. Oh my goodness. I got one for an episode called Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. And it's a uh, very revealing ball gown or something on Kira. Like a Ooh. a slit that goes up up to her hip, basically. That doesn't sound wrong to me. Pretty enticing image there. She looks kind of pissed off, though. In that way that only she can. It's part of why I like her. All right, second to last pack here. Oh, I got Gold Ducat as an ally and enemy. <laughs> I got another one of these goddamn triple cards. A lot of repeats as we get to the end here. Yeah. Hey, I got one for the Mayquis Part 2. That's next week's episode. The uh, thrilling conclusion <laughs> to the Mayquis Part 1. Ships of the Dominion War, Klingon, Bird of Prey. Nice foil card. Uh, unlike the Romulan ship that I unwrapped recently, this one's actually facing toward camera. So that's cool. <laughs> that helps. All right, down Adam. to my last pack. As am I. Hoping to get something that beats the gallery card for Terry <laughs> Farrell. <laughs> Otherwise, that is as good as it gets. Boy, there are some episode titles here that rival Discovery for pretension. Mm -hmm. yeah, Treachery, sure. Faith, and the Great River is one of the episode <laughs> titles here. Oh, I've got Morn as an ally. Whoa. There's the buddy. That's a good card. Hard to beat Morn. Okay, Adam, we're going to play everybody's favorite game to play with Deep Space Nine trading cards. I have pulled five cards out of this last pack. 
and uh, you, what you have to do is guess whether the whether the photograph is in focus or out of focus. <laughs> and if you get if you get three out of the five right, I will arrange for a six pack of beer to be delivered to your house. Are you ready to play? Ben, this game was so popular the first time around. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be. It able was the talk of the internet. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have another shot at this. I mean, you did great the first time. You won. I I did great by guessing mostly out of focus. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see if you can uh, let's see if you can repeat your so far untarnished record. <laughs> the first card is for an episode called "The Search Part 2. It's an image of Odo and like. A lady Odo. A Lodo? Uh, yeah, talking to each other in a Star Trek cave. She's looking very sad, and he's looking kind of miffed, I will say. You know, I think you tipped your hand to me by giving me that much detail. If you if you have expression amounts of detail and how people are looking, I'm going to say that card's in focus, Ben. Uh, sadly, Adam, that card is not in focus. So that's going in the L category. Oh, not a good start. Took a good cut there, though. Yeah. Here's another card. It is for an episode called Honor Among Thieves. And this may be that same Wayun guy that uh, that I had that card for before. Uh, same hair and ears. Not, not It might be a different actor in the same loaf though I don't know and uh, he's there's a couple of guys over his shoulders but uh, he's addressing somebody off camera I'm gonna say in focus oh Adam oh no I'm in the hole aren't I you're you're in the hole that's that is uh, an out of focus card and uh, sadly that means you need to get every single card correct after this in order to win. All right, your next card. Take me out to the hollow suite. This is a great card because it kind of looks just like a straight up baseball card. It is of Ben Sisko in a Deep Space Nine baseball uniform. Niners. Get it? And uh, he's on a baseball field and I think Rom is in the deep background in the in the stands. He might be the only person in the stands. Well, this is one of the show's most popular episodes, so I'm going to believe that they would have made sure that this one was in focus, Ben. You are correct, Adam. You're still in the game, and that's what I love about you. All right. Still in the game like an erectile dysfunction (laughs) prescription drug commercial. Uh, Second to last card... Uh, this is for an episode called Sons of Moog, and it is an image of everybody's favorite son of Moog, Worf Roshenko. He's wearing a gold ceremonial Klingon robe. It looks like he may have a suicide knife or something in his hands. <laughs> um, a little hard to see, but from the angle. And then uh, he's kind of looking down as though in disgust with something. How could they do Worf out of focus? I think I've guessed in focus for every card so far, right? I think you have, yeah. 
I'm gonna say that Worf son of Moog is given an in-focus portrait here. In focus! No, it's 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 uh, unfortunately an out of focus card, Adam. Ah. Well, do you want to try and mitigate your loss somewhat by taking taking a wild swing at the last card? Yeah, let's do that last card. Last card is for an episode called Change of Heart. It is Worf and Dax, and it looks like they may be either embracing or grappling. Uh, he he kind of looks more embrace, but she looks more grapple, and she's got quite a bit of dirt on her face. Her hair is very much out of place, and she looks uh, she looks real effed up. She's in a bad way. If they are grappling, do you believe it could be a consensual grapple? I don't know. I mean, anything's possible. Jedzia Dex, open to a lot of shit. I'm gonna say that one's out of focus, Ben. That is correct, Adam. Well, two out of five, not a terrible showing, but not enough to win, Adam. Just give me the summary. How many of those were out of focus? Four out of five were out of focus? If I had just guessed out of focus the entire time, I probably... Yeah. you would have won if you... Yeah, four out of five were out of focus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not... Wow. Well, uh, so ends the game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so ends our supply of these particular Deep Space Nine cards. Yeah, I'm willing to continue the card bit, but I gotta tell you, only with a different kind of card. What we need to do is ask the card guys over at uh, Stop Podcasting Yourself. Those guys know everything about trading cards. Huh, well, the search goes on. If you have a bead on superior Star Trek Deep Space Nine cards, shoot us an email, drunkshimoto at gmail.com. Adam, do you want to get into the first part of a big two-parter that we watched today i think we have to i mean you can't do the second part without the first and by the first i mean deep space nine season two episode 20 the makewees part one aka cisco and ducat's excellent adventure excellent do you realize how incredible this is Some Cardassians get blown up by a guy with male pattern baldness. Not the guy in the card that I opened up, by the hmm. way. Different. It's like uh, in in the post-Picard era, Star Trek is taking a hard stand against bald men. This guy reminded me of male pattern baldness Barkley. Yeah. Like he's kind totally. of skulking around like a Barkley. He's got a Barkley vibe. I totally, I was like, is this, are they introducing the Barkley of Deep Space Nine? Right. I'm ready to know that guy. Yeah, would, would meet. I don't want any trouble here, Barkley. Trouble? Why would there be trouble? There's some stuff in Ops where like Kira and Dax are kind of arranging the departure of this Cardassian transport. And um, it made me think about the air traffic control aspect of working on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Kind of surprising that the science officer and, like, the second-in-command have their hands on that, you know? I like it, and it feels like some lived-in careerism happening on screen that you don't get. Right. Like, Star Trek is so interested in cramming plot into the show, you know, like, rightfully so, you don't often just get to lay back and watch people do their jobs. I wonder how much of their day tends to be this. And I sort of wondered, 
wouldn't there be people that specialize in this? Like the people that drink way too much coffee and just sit there and coordinate ships all day? Yeah, go up to Ops and push tin for your shift. <laughs> yeah. 451, I was a little surprised that that wasn't a specialty given given the idea that it was a job, you know? How bored do you think Dax is after seven lifetimes of whatever work, whatever whatever careers she has had, whatever careers Dax has had over the years? Right. Do you feel like this is a this is a upward career trajectory for her, or a flat trajectory, or what? Yeah. Does the ankylosaur want different? Is it all about variety? Because that's sort of the implication, right? Like, she bangs weird-looking aliens because just different? That is a great observation that I'm ready to believe. I don't get a sense of ambitious ankylosaur out of Dax. Instead, I get just an interest in, in variety, like you say, both both in sexual partners and in career. Like, she basically calls Kira stuck up in this scene because Kira is grossed out by... The men that sh- the Dax is interested in. It's not his fault. Galamites have transparent skulls. Yeah, I mean, Kira is kind of shaming her. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly the view I want to have with dinner. Yeah, uncool, Kira. If it wasn't to each his own, then nobody, you know, it's a zero-sum game at that point. Kira doesn't want to see that brain. <laughs> Kira wants to get brain. She don't want to see it. Indeed. Oh, indeed. This ship blowing up is a big problem. And it's one of those problems that is urgent. Like, they, they're they out in a runabout, like, individually scanning every piece of wreckage. All 75 Cardassians aboard the ship are, are dead. Cisco is totally flipping out because the, the brass at Starfleet are breathing down his neck. Do you get and, the sense that part of the runabout's job is to clean up the debris, too? Yeah, like, when they first targeted it, I was like, are they just going to, like, phaser it and vaporize it? Because they do show, like, quite a bit of crap floating around the uh, upper pylons. Lots of times in Star Trek, when a ship explodes, it just turns to vapor. Right. And that's it. It's neat to see some uh, some particulate left behind. <laughs> yeah. Some, some flotsam. Some, uh, some realistic flotsam. Yeah. And, you know, Cisco is pretty eager to call this an accident and... Uh, get everybody to stand down their alert and O'Brien and Kira are like we don't think that there's any evidence that it is an accident yet and uh, I think it's Dax that kind of kind of zeroes in on this reading she was getting before the ship left that it was probably not an explosive device but an implosive device that caused the problem. Right, but it looked on screen like any other ship exploding. It wasn't like uh, yeah. like space folded in on itself and then blipped out. Yeah, like I guess it imploded something that was holding something in and then whatever was being held in exploded. So it's a device that's meant to destroy a ship without leaving a trace behind that could be specifically attributed to an explosive. Which is not really like... Like, if you're a terrorist, like, concealing that it was an explosive when you're blowing a ship up is kind of a, it's kind of not what a lot of terrorists go for. It kind of lends credence to the idea that the Mayquis are, like, only interested in taking this ship out 
because it is running guns and for no other reason. They're not trying to make a political statement. They're not they're not doing this with the aim of destabilizing the region or anything. They're doing it because of the very practical thing that this ship does. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's Spoiler an interesting alert. way to distinguish the that. did it. Mayquees? <laughs> right. <laughs> one thing that does not spoil this episode is the appearance of one of Ben Sisko's old friends. It's Cal Hudson. A.K.A. the history teacher in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. So, Bill, what you're telling me, essentially, is that Napoleon was a short, dead dude. This guy is great. and yeah. uh, Bernie and Casey. Can- Bernie Casey can fucking rock a Starfleet uniform, too. Shit, dog. He basically, like, nobody has looked better in a Starfleet uniform since Will Riker. He does wear his comm badge a little low in the chest. And this is an observation that I've had before. If you are even a little bit taller than other actors, if you ride the comm badge lower in the chest, it makes you look giant. Yeah. That little bit of forced perspective really changes it. And I don't know whether that's intentional or not, but it really makes him look larger than life. Cal Hudson with the little sprezzatura. He's cutting a little bit of a dash in that uniform. He knows how to wear it. <laughs> Cal Hudson can get it, baby. Cal, Cal and Ben are friends. Cal and Dax may be closer friends. Yeah. The implication is that like the relationship that Ben Sisko had with Curzon Dax is... Very similar to the relationship that Cal Hudson had with Curzon Dax, but that Cal is kind of a dog. Right. Because <laughs> he's like, she knows more about me than any woman I've ever met, including my wife. <laughs> Jesus, Cal. Either Cal is not very close to his wife, or Dax <laughs> is very close to Cal. Yeah. They go into Cisco's ready room and Cal just sort of like swings his arm behind him and is like, are you hitting that, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> like right away launches into it. <laughs> oh, no. She may not be Curzon, but she is Dax. I don't love that it's just kind of another writerly excuse to re-explain what Dax is. Like it's fucking we're we're on the backswing of season two. We get it. Oh, I think Cal needs it explained to him, though. Like, I don't, I don't think it's he knew just Curzon. Turning... Does it? Did Curzon not explain it to him? That's the weird part, right? Is like it should have been known at that point that yeah. that the Curzon container was temporary. I thought that ankylosaur was just a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty nifty split diopter here uh, deployed in this office scene, though. Oh, really? I With didn't some, even uh, uh, foreground I'm... Cal, background. Ben. Oh, yeah, good point. Tastefully done. Yeah, very tasteful. And there's not even, uh, sometimes you'll get a a little bit of a blur in that diopter, and uh, it looks crisply focused, foreground and background. It looks great. The line is is well hidden. Yeah. Where it is in the frame. Good call. I think Cal has a pretty similar job to Cisco in that he's kind of the top Federation guy for an area. He's like, he's not really 
a, a he's not stationed on a starship. He's like he's like detached to a region of space, and uh, I, I kind of get the sense that this is the region of space where like uh, the you know Native American people in uh, that late TNG episode live. Like the 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 parts the planets that humans and other Federation people were on that wound up on the other side of the Cardassian line when this treaty got put into place. Yeah, and there's, you know, as chummy as this scene starts, it really devolves into some tension because what Cal's trying to make clear to Ben is that he can't possibly know what it's like out in the territories that he cruises. Like, this is not, you know, things post-treaty, like aren't great and and the treaty didn't fix what everyone had hoped it would fix it's actually created a bunch of problems and cal makes the case that ben couldn't possibly know that because he hasn't been out in those territories the way cal has yeah it's an interesting scene because cal starts off just a chill dude that's there for a chill hang and then reveals some like real deep anger about what's happening out in these colonies you ever like go out for drinks with someone and the tone just changes like and gets super fucking dark like that's what cal does in this scene in the span of like three minutes yeah i mean i have uh i've experienced that before and um as a conflict averse person it's something i kind of live in fear of (laughs) that's why you, you like to turn down invitations most of the time yeah, fucking A, man. <laughs> but uh, I don't think Cisco is conflict-averse. Like, he's interested in talking this through and solving this problem because it's looking like, you know, like they, like these are the two guys that are highest, like the highest-placed people Starfleet has in the immediate vicinity of the Cardassian border. So it really does kind of fall to them to to toe the line and work on behalf of this treaty, whatever their misgivings are about it. And in the aftermath of the ship explosion, Cisco is sort of bracing for a Cardassian response that Hudson is almost positive isn't going to happen, or at least positive is not going to happen in the way that Cisco thinks. Did you ever watch The Staircase? Yeah. Uh, there's that like a, a f- great handful of new episodes of that on netflix and uh did they add to the staircase yeah oh i haven't seen the new stuff i but i saw it a couple years ago so there was like a a a new hearing where they presented a bunch of evidence that like the key witness that the prosecution presented was a total flim flam man and made up all of the like blood splatter evidence like totally fabricated his report and it like you know you watch the thing and then like the prosecutor stands up and says like this was a fair trial and the result should stand and like the jury made a call and you just gotta let them make that call like whatever these guys are saying and I like I flipped out I was like how can she just sit there and say that when she was in the same room seeing all the same evidence that this guy fabricated all of the shit and my wife a actual lawyer was like that's not her job like her job is to is to argue on behalf of the state and of the victim of the murder and that's what you do like that's how this works 
And I think that that's kind of the position Cisco is taking here. He's like not necessarily a thousand percent bought into like the substance of the treaty or anything, but it's the it's the Federation policy, and that's what he conceives of his job as being. And that's that becomes a, a division between him and Cal. And it is a specific conflict about a more general conflict. Cal's contention that it's a bad treaty flies in the face of Ben Sisko's uh, Starfleet idealism. Right. So uh, the gold shirt that planted the bomb is like reading the mall directory down on the promenade, like looking like, how do I get to the sky lounge or whatever? And a Vulcan woman comes up to him to also read the, you know, give the appearance of also reading the directory, but actually to tell him that they've like arranged for transport and he just has to lay low for a couple of days before they get him off the space station. So a co-conspirator. This Vulcan lady's name is Sakona. And she runs over to Quark's not long after to hit him up about a business arrangement she's trying to make happen. She is so slick in the in the mall directory scene and so not slick in the talking to Quark about how to buy a bunch of guns scene. Right? I thought the same thing. <laughs> like in the writer's room, they they really took a hard left when when they got to the next scene with this character about what she's all about. You get decades of Vulcan history believing that you know what Vulcans are like and then you get one TNG app where a Vulcan is trying to assemble a death weapon out of artifacts <laughs> and like the dam breaks and all of a sudden you're getting some really different style Vulcans and uh is one of them yeah Vulcans who are down to fuck Ferengi yeah she, she doesn't reveal that she's down to fuck immediately I should say like Cork is uh, putting the moves on and uh, initially, she seems fairly resistant to the idea. But he does arrange a dinner date at which they can talk about this this deal. She's awkward in the way she articulates business, but is also uh, just she demonstrates that lack of worldliness that that looks like she doesn't really know when she's being hit on. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like people know when they're being hit on, right? Like, you act like you don't know you're being hit on to defray how much being hit on you are getting, right? Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I mean, like, also, I I sort of wonder, because the scene where she, like, specifically, like, gives him the laundry list of, of weapons that she wants is at the bar later. I feel like maybe if he hadn't been so smarmy in this first scene... The suggestion would have been, like, why don't we get dinner in a private place? Mm-hmm. But maybe she wants to do it in a public place because she's a little bit worried about what his intentions are. That's fair. That's some pretty good headcanon. I don't know. That's me carrying water for the writers more than it is headcanon. <laughs> <laughs> so right after this, we see our little terrorist buddy heading to his uh, his safe house and uh, it's some of those we we've met these aliens before. I don't know. I don't remember what they're called, but they've got the kind of like octagonal headdresses, right? And uh, and they appear to be working for their Cardassians because one of them does the classic drop her purse gambit, and uh, 
this is a nice guy, this terrorist. So he helps, stops to help her put the stuff back in the purse, and uh, somebody come hypo sprays him, and uh, they drag him out of there. I mean, he may be a terrorist, but he's not a monster. <laughs> he may have just murdered 75 people, but he's not going to let a lady, uh, you know, let her compact mirror roll around on the floor. Sure. He's still a gentleman. Yeah, so uh, Cisco heads back to his apartment, and uh, he's, like, surprised to find that instead of Jake, there is only Ducat there. Jake, Your son is not here, Commander. He's rightfully surprised, and Ducat's like, yeah, I mean, I don't want to alarm you or anything, but I was a non-registered stowaway on a ship, and I just, like, sort of slunk my way through the cargo bay and... And broke into your house? (laughs) I don't know whether this says more about how great Ducat is at Spycraft or how terrible Odo might be at security. Right, because at this point, a guy just got abducted, a nefarious villain is in the station commander's headquarters, and Quark is arranging an arms deal. Odo, nowhere to be found. And and a a ship just blew up. My first job was in a grocery store, and Mm -hmm. at every cash register, there was a tiny laminated sheet uh, of little pictures of the president, CEO, CFO, like board of directors of the grocery (laughs) store company, so that we would know if anyone had come through. Like, So you're on alert for certain people at a grocery store. Deep Space Nine... Not prescribing to any sort of grocery store style security. I had a friend in college who lived in one of the dorms, but was persona non grata at a different dorm. And they had a picture of him at the security desk. So if he came in and tried to like go to somebody's room for a, for a party or something, they would just be like, sorry, sir, you're not welcome here. <laughs> if there's one person you need to look out for... On Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and if you could only pick one, it's got to be Caldecott, right? Right, yeah. Got to be. Uh, have you seen this man? Cisco is pretty freaked out about his presence here in, in his quarters and starts, like, getting on the radio and asking about where his son is. And Ducat's like, hey, man, that's so so uncool. I'm just breaking into your house. I'm not abducting your son. <laughs> He's, like, like, really offended. How dare you? <laughs> I'm totally feeling him on this too. Like like there is there is honor among thieves and Cardassians, I feel like. And that is uh that's a step that he will not take. Yeah, but also like the first thing he said is, said to Cisco is your son is not here. <laughs> like Yeah. But does he think Cisco is going to interpret that as meaning? That's pretty threatening. <laughs> Just uh, I thought it was a very funny scene. So, you know, Ducat, I think in previous episodes, has been kind of the face of Cardassia. And in this episode, it's kind of revealed that he is a bit playing his own game. Like, he is not always in lockstep with the Cardassian government's wishes. And uh, sometimes is kind of advancing his own agenda. And I think this... This episode arc uh, uh, really cements that as being the case. What I really like about what Ducat is doing and how he's doing it is it feels like a very back-channel Khrushchev-Kennedy 
relationship developing here where yeah. where there is the company line that Starfleet has there's the the maquis line Maquis? and then there's there are the people that actually have to operate the machinery the machines of diplomacy here yeah. and sometimes they need to have those conversations secretly in in Cisco's apartment for instance and i think that's cool Cal Hudson has basically told Ducat and Cisco that they're going to flunk history unless they can figure out the whole situation with weapons being smuggled to Cardassians and the Mequis and all of that stuff. Guys, your report had better be something very special. Dakar proposes a road trip, and yep. that uh, that road trip well, is yeah. First they go to the Circle K and they meet George Carlin, but then they go on a trip. Your academic knowledge of this movie is <laughs> is frustrating me, Ben. Do you not have that? I don't have it down cold like oh, you man. do. I I fucking love that movie. It's one of my faves. It's you on wanna, my mountain. You want to take the lead on on leading <laughs> us through the plot here? Then <laughs> no, I'll stop. I'll stop. I I want to have fun with you, not at you. <laughs> No one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. There's not a lot of time to do everything that they need to do in this episode. And one of the things that I wish there were time for is just the idea of Cisco telling anyone at the station that he will be taking a runabout with Guldicat yeah. to parts unknown. Like, <laughs> because what happens is you cut from Cisco's condo to the runabout, basically, without that intermediate scene that that includes the absurdity that connects right. the two points. And yeah. I would have really appreciated the look on Kira's face had <laughs> like because Cisco doesn't need to ask. Cisco's the daddy who loans out the car keys on that station. Right. But I feel like you got to tell someone where you're going and with who if you're Commander Cisco. I mean, they got to know where to look for you if you go missing, right? Right. So that doesn't happen, and, and you cut to them on the road, and they're headed to the Volan colonies on, uh, on Ducat's suggestion. This, there's some fun stuff in this. Like One of the things uh, is that Ducat's, all of Ducat's instrument panels have been turned off, so they're, they're just the, like black screens without any blips and bloops on them, and uh, he's, he takes great umbrage at that. I um, love the idea that like the runabout is like a driver's ed car with with pedals and a wheel on both sides. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, Cisco like disengages the uh, the the passenger side brake. Yeah, we get some cool Cardassian backstory here too, because uh, one of the reasons that Cisco says that he doesn't want to turn on the blinking lights in front of Ducat is because uh, famously, Cardassians have a photographic memory. Yeah. I mean that makes them that makes that gives a a certain scariness to their villainy. Mhm. And it also like I think there's a ton of work done on what Cardassians are like in this episode. Another thing is that Jukat says that Cisco is like one of the most joyless humans he's ever met. <laughs> and it it's like coming from a Cardassian that's insane. Right. But also like the way Mark Al- Alamo plays it is perfect he brings just he just just enough joy to be plausible but not so much that it's like give me a fucking break like this is a different character all of a sudden Ducat 
clearly doesn't know anything about fuck Bokai. <laughs> For him to have said that to Ben Sisko. Yeah, if uh, if only. But that's that's so true, though, right? Like, the, if they're only FaceTiming each other when a situation is tense and they're trying to, like, resolve it and save face and et cetera, et cetera, Ducasse can be forgiven for thinking that Cisco is all business and no fun and vice versa. It's, uh, look, it's not unlike the, the work face you put on at work and the play face you put on when you get home from work. Like there are different versions of yourself that you allow people to see. Right. What I think Cisco takes greatest umbrage in is that like Ducat could think that he knows the entire (laughs) Ben Cisco and he does not. He does not. He does not. Oh, hi, Mark. But uh, what what Ducat does is uh, is leans over Ben Cisco's panel and shows him a new Pong game <laughs> that involves uh, a couple of shuttle sized Cardassian ships and a Starfleet merchant ship. There's some set tripping in the demilitarized zone, and everybody has bigger guns on their ships than seem to really make sense. Right. They seem to have, like, cheat code guns, right? Like, way yeah. earlier in the level than you should possibly have them. Right. And uh, it looks like they're about to come to blows, so Ben Sisko sets off at a zesty warp three to go <laughs> try and get get in there and referee this situation a little bit. We don't have the budget for us getting there any earlier. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so instead of them getting there in time, a different unknown Federation ship gets there in time, shoots some uh, some Pac-Man blips at the Cardassian bleeps and uh, and bloops them right out of existence. Yeah, I mean, you really feel the grief when you see that blip blip away <laughs> off screen. Yeah, you just think about all those all those lives wasted. Uh, you cut from that scene of of spaceship murder to a scene in Quark's bar uh, depicting the date that he's on. The date that he believes he's on with Sakona. Yeah. And the business dealing that Sakona believes she's having with Quark. Yeah. Uh, he's, got, he's got a full spread. He's just got the works going. All of, all of the great Vulcan foodstuffs and, uh, and beverages are yeah. ready for consumption. He really splashed out. Sakona's a healthy drinker, too. Yeah. Surely knock that port back. Quark's buoyancy here uh, changes quite a bit when, uh, and he almost spit takes when Sakona arrives at the point where it's time to ask for what she wants, business wise. And it is guns, Ben. Lots and lots of guns. Guns, phaser banks, photon torpedoes, troop transports, and a number of cobalt thorium devices. My list is quite extensive. I feel like he should have asked her if she's a cop. Right. (laughs) You know, like, you have to tell me. That's a rule. (laughs) And it is like, it's not just a few guns. It is like a war fighting amount of weaponry here. That uh, really takes him aback. This may be the most erotic thing that has ever happened to Quark, because it's a woman that he is sexually interested in asking him... To set up a situation where he's going to be make, making tons of money on an ongoing basis as uh, as she funds her war. Right. She says she's got that latinum. And that's all that needs to be said. He's game. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, no. I don't use the bucket 
we smash cut to Cisco and Ducat kind of barging in on a on an argument between Gully Vec and some colonists. Like they're in just some conference room somewhere and they come in like with, you know, information about this attack they've just observed. Kind of a step up for Gully Vec. Last time we saw him, he was uh Giving O'Brien tips on how to exterminate voles. Yeah, he was answering phones for the extermination company. <laughs> yeah, and now he's sort of holding court uh, with regard yeah. to this this Pong game we saw earlier. I think they hope, I think that Cisco and Ducat hope that this is going to kind of like calm the situation down. But what in fact happens is that uh, the Cardassians play a confession video, like a, you know, soldier captured by North Korea confession video where he says, like, I'm being treated well and I'm apologizing for my imperialist incursion and killing uh, innocent Cardassians. And here's Uh, today's paper. Right, yeah. And uh, that's our male pattern baldness yellow shirt guy. Yeah. A lot is made about whether or not this confession might have been coerced. Yeah. Uh, but they I like roll- that he says he's well treated, and then like thirty five seconds later, they bring his body in under a, under a blanket. My favorite part of this scene is is knowing that for the entire meeting, there are two Cardassians holding that body in a cot, like waiting for their cue to enter. Yeah, <laughs> like- waiting outside the room, and the the secretary is probably sitting there, like, "What's that?" And they're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> they're like shifting their weight and like uh, trying to hold with one hand and the other. Like, <laughs> it's not an insignificant amount of weight to hold for a long time. Yeah. Cal Hudson knew this guy and knew him to be a farmer, like a guy who was just kind of a salt of the earth, good dude who wanted to wanted to continue to live on the land that he was, lived on for 20 years. But now it's owned by the Cardassians and... In spite of him having the name of a serial killer. <laughs> like, they always call him William Patrick Samuels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not a good look. You never want yeah. three names when you type in. No, that's bad. That's, that's not a good look. You're probably going to get three names when you die, though. Benjamin R. Harrison sounds like a serial killer. Yeah, if but it makes my middle the news. name's made up. Yeah. If I kill somebody, they'll use my real middle name. Oh, well, I would hope so. But uh, I don't think they're going to do that because I'm probably not going to kill somebody. Yeah. Too much work. This is driving a, a wedge further between Cal Hudson and Cisco. And uh, and he leaves and goes back to uh, Deep Space Nine with his good good time buddy, Gul Dukat. And Gul Dukat is like, yeah, I knew that they killed that guy. I knew all about that shit. <laughs> like, I've been lying to you about what I know the entire time. Ooh, that's got to be so irritating. <laughs> but this is classic Ducat, right? Like, this is the Ducat you think you were going to get the whole time. Right. And uh, I think there's a line in this episode that, like, the Cardassians never show you, like, you know, like what they're showing you is never what's really there. Yeah. Or whatever. So it's, it's a little bit akin to the always a game of chess with the Romulans line. Yeah. Like... I, I like the summing up a a species that that does because, like, the Cardassians are, are a bad guy alien, and knowing what kind of bad guy they are uh, helps helps you, like, think about what their role will be. You're right, Ben. Stereotypes are very useful. Mm-hmm. 
It is discovered by O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And others. Feels like way late in the episode that the implosion device was a Starfleet design. Yeah, indeed. And and, um, uh, and Cisco already knows this. He doesn't need right. to be told by O'Brien. He he is flailing at this point, having just gotten off of the runabout. He walks into his his office, where uh, Kira is there to meet him, and they have an interaction that uh, feels pretty heated. Yeah, and it's kind of the fight that they've always had. I feel like Cisco here doesn't even care that that Kira is in the room. He needs to monologize this. He needs to just get this out. This this pressure yeah. that's built up in him. He's got to stay he's he's got to say this shit about Starfleet. He's been I think he's he's kind of holding on to his faith by a thread, you know. They get into a fairly heated argument about the status of the mission and then at the end, Cisco reverse lowers her. <laughs> I totally thought about Matt Lauer. <laughs> like he fucking hits a button on his desk that, and the door open. opens the door. Yeah. The implication being, uh, oh, Kira, I didn't know you were there. You may go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think in uh, in Starfleet, you have the button that opens the door, but no button to close the door. Yeah. Because uh, any kind of security or locking mechanism is unknown to them. Right. <laughs> it's the fight they've always had. It's the... Like, don't trust the Cardassians. Don't think that a treaty is going to make them good guys. Don't think that they're they're going to become allies after this. And uh, and he does not need to hear that right now. Like his his seeing his friends and and Federation citizens slip away from him, and that kills him. It's a good scene for Avery Brooks. It's a good scene for Nana Visitor. Like, yeah, I like it when they're heated up at each other. It's good TV. Yeah, it's good TV, and it's followed by a scene where Gul Dukat gets abducted from his apartment. Like, they come and say, hey, uh, there's some uh, Cardassians here, and Cisco wants you to see them, and we're going to go to an airlock and meet him. I was kind of ready for them to just, like, shove him into the airlock and depressurize it and blow him out into space. Alien queen him. With how these... Mayquees, Mayquees? terrorists look. I was expecting them to sign Ducat up for uh, extension courses at the local community (laughs) college. Hey, have you ever considered doing summer stage Shakespeare stuff? Any of that? uh, It's hard to to take them seriously when they all look like adjunct professors, like (laughs) wearing woolen sweater vests. Yeah, and like way too baggy of pants. Yeah. They clearly live in the wood-paneled apartments of Deep Space Nine. They all have elbow patches. and uh, But they really kick Dukat's ass here. Shoot him in yeah. the back. They get yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, he, he attempts to knock them all out. Like, he, he fully punches the Vulcan lady in the face, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit upsetting. But I guess in the context can be... That would given. really horrify male pattern baldness Barkley. <laughs> yeah, but he did. Yeah. Morn, morn, morn. sweet. Morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. I think the next scene is Cisco getting the ass chewing that he totally deserves from the Starfleet brass. Like, 
everybody's in ops watching him through the window just get yelled at on FaceTime. I love this. Yeah, and he comes out, and it is like a full, like, shit flows downhill scene <laughs> where he, he's standing up at, at the top of that landing just yelling shit at all of them, like, like, Odo, review all of our security procedures. This is some fucking bullshit. Kira, where are these Maquis? What are, What's going on? Like, what's where's the ship that Dukat is on? Like, how do we find it? And they narrow it down to, like, there's one potential ship that he's on, and uh, it's like a by any means necessary situation they're gonna go get their dude back even though he's a bad guy and not really their dude the dustbuster club they assemble is uh is cisco it's kira the heavy hitters <laughs> and it's bashir who the moment he appeared on screen made me say oh it's dr bashir remember that guy <laughs> he's in this episode <laughs> i mean i guess he's there in case ducat's been injured yeah i think that's smart and Makes also sense. uh their chances of it being a good mission are increased with Bashir on the team instead of O'Brien, who has had a run of really bad luck lately. <laughs> he's yeah, like the he, black cat you don't want to uh, to bring in the runabout. Right. Yeah. He's like uh, when you're like down a point and this and this batter comes out onto onto the plate. Every, everybody's like, fuck, come on. <laughs> like, why did he have to be the next in the lineup? That You just described my, my entire junior high baseball career. <laughs> uh, it me, Adam. Ben, when they beam down to the Class M asteroid, it is revealed to be the Arsenal of Freedom playset. Yeah, they head to a region of, of the Cardassian border called the Badlands. And uh, it's not that bad of lands. It's very lush. Uh, you know, Ace Garden Center exploded onto this planet. Looks pretty humid, though. You got the fog machines turned up a little bit. Yeah, but the second they beam down, like there's guys running around with with rifles, and uh, they get the drop on them. It's not just Mayquise that get the drop on them, Adam. It is Cal Hudson out of uniform. Cal making a Lacutus-like entrance, stepping into frame. The show failing to give us the dun-dun-duns of a Best of Both Worlds Part 1. But it but the uh, episode ties up into this crescendo and a to-be-continued. A TBC. Fun one. Did you like the episode, Adam? It's hard to commit given that this is just Part 1. But I do like what I'm seeing when we talk about shading the Starfleet universe here. Like, I like that there's some inter-Starfleet conflict uh-huh. I love Cal. Like, give me more Cal. That guy's great. Like, yeah, Cal Hudson, A plus character. Uh, like, if a character can can make an episode great, I'm I will go see Cal as the uh, as the car <laughs> commercial goes. Here's a '71 Pontiac Firebird. The full price nine hundred dollars. He's a delight, and his relationship with Cisco as being an undergirding of the greater conflict throughout is yeah. great storytelling. I love it. I love that there's a little bit of personal and a little bit of professional going on here. And uh, it's got me interested in seeing the second half. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I really like the episode. I think that um, it's setting up a challenge that kind of goes to the core of Cisco's values. And that's the like the episodes of TNG that do that for Picard are always great and it's it's like a good formula you know like force a character to confront their own beliefs and you know tell us whether there are four or five lights yeah 
And uh, I think that it also just puts, like, I mean, we knew about the Mayquis from TNG, and I think that this may be the first time they are, in terms of the timeline of the show, the first time we hear about the Mayquis anywhere in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. But it's fun to put, like, a new villain on the board. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Then it's decided. We like it. <laughs> ben, you want to see if we have any Priority One messages? Getting a boner for Priority One messages. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we've got a personal Priority One message here. It's from Rick and Annie. It's to Allie and Emily. It goes like this. What a cliffhanger. Hudson was a Mayquis? Mayquis? Shocker. Thank you, Allie, for introducing us to this pod. Emily, for tickets to the Cleveland show. And both of you for being cool sisters with close birthdays. We're in France looking for some vintage Chateau Picard <laughs> and avoiding an angry man shouting, Gara Nerys is a war criminal! Anyways, happy birthdays. <laughs> it's a double birthday. Boy, am I ever glad that you got to read that, Ben. <laughs> and what a great message. Like, I love ones that are timed specifically for the episode that we watched. That's good yeah. planning by them. Specific episode, specific timing on the birthday as well. That specific takes some planning. bad French accent. <laughs> I'm going to say good French ac- accent, Ben. I think you do Aww. a particularly great one. You, you little so-and-so. <laughs> Our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Andy. It is for Ben and Adam. And the message goes like this. Hey, Ben and Adam, (laughs) I've got nothing funny to say, so please can you do an impression of what you think Morn would sound like? (laughs) Thanks. This sounds like a very uh, review-formatted question, right? Like that that Comedy Central show review. Uh Uh-huh. With uh, Andy Daly. Yeah, which is one of the great shows yeah, ever made. Show. Yeah. But but like uh often those those propositions are phrased in this way, like uh <laughs> you think I'm gonna ask you about this, but instead I'm gonna ask you about this. <laughs> I'm so curious ben, about you... cocaine. Why don't you do it, develop a problem, and then tell me about it? <laughs> what do you think Morn sounds like? I mean I'm he's a Muppet, so <laughs> In my head, he's got a very, like, Jim Henson or Frank Oz kind of voice, like, like, uh... Like uh, Sweetums? Quark, would you come over here and give me a drink? Like, (laughs) something like that? Yeah, like, in the Muppet universe, he's got, like, the bottom hinged mouth. Yeah. That opens up like a like a drawbridge, <laughs> and so there are certain voices associated with the drawbridge mouth, yeah. and I think I think super deep is probably where it's at. But also, I think uh, like it wouldn't surprise me at all if he had a very high pitched, nasally voice like one Adam Pranica even. Oh so yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I I, I mean like uh, it could be like. More, more, more up here. <laughs> Quark, check out this dick. I, re- I love that he would be a henchman from Venture Brothers. That's that's awesome. That, I'm not that really should, familiar with that program. That should totally be what he sounds like. 
I mean, I, I kind of feel like I'm him... doing a voice for my dog, you know, in a way, in a way where like I'm putting something on his personality that he has no way of defending against. Right. I could see, you know, he moves around so slowly. <laughs> I could see him being a real Eeyore type too. You know, <laughs> sure. Like, uh, like it takes him a thousand years to get out his drink order. Like, hey, Cork, <laughs> could you please get? Me or menu? <laughs> That's just probably what your Kevin Uxbridge sounds like when somebody who customarily listens to our show on 2X listens to it at regular speed. Well, uh, if you're listening on 2X, uh, you're wrong. I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> yeah, if you're interested in sending us or any of our viewers a priority one message announcement, you can go to maximumfund.org/slash jumbotron. You sure can. It's 200 bucks for a commercial message and only 100 bucks for a personal message. Helps us cover the costs of creating this podcast. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It's Cal. <laughs> there are probably more Shimoda-like people if we're, if we're using uh, the greatest gen dictionary definition of what a Shimoda is. Uh-huh. But I don't get the feeling that Cal's going to be long for this universe. And so while I can, <laughs> I want to recognize Cal with the drunk Shimoda. I mean, he is... He is a chaos agent, but he's yeah. masquerading as Big Starfleet. Right? Yeah. He he is he's chaotic, neutral in lawful good clothing. Yeah, and I really like that. You don't get that too often in a Star Trek show, and he really lives in that role very well. Like, what's great about him is that when he bursts onto the scene, he is one thousand percent charisma, and so you love him right away. Which is what makes the uh, the surprise at the end so painful. Like, ah, oh, not Cal. Like, <laughs> yeah. even though it telegraphs the turn, like, fairly early on, too. I think yeah. uh, it hurts, because you like him. You don't want him to be bad, but he is. If you don't love this character, this doesn't hit as hard as it does, but he really makes you love him. Yeah, if he is just a neutral party, if he is just Joe Starfleet, old... Ben Sisko's friend, and and he do, you don't really get a read off of him. You don't care at all in that last yeah. scene, but I think he uh, he does such a great job charismatically early on. That, yeah, uh, and he just has great screen chemistry with Avery Brooks. Like they really sell that they are old friends that were like in the academy together, graduated together, and the the betrayal that that evokes in Sisko when he finds out where Hudson is actually at politically yeah. is is all the more impactful because of that. He's a special guest star. Bernie Casey said that he was not interested in doing Deep Space Nine, but he did it so that he could work with Avery Brooks, who he admired quite a bit as an actor, which I think is a pretty fun reason to do the show at all. Like That's I don't awesome. know if I don't know if I feel like doing this, but oh, get to work with that guy. Yeah. A couple of awesome scenes that. together. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Who's your drunk Shimoda? My drunk Shimoda is Gully Vec, and it is for that scene where he has the guys waiting outside with the body the entire time. Yeah. Uh, I just, I laughed when that happened. Um, 
and uh, I I wrote it down like gully fact that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> I. You know that there's a scene that they won't show where Gullivec is talking to those guys and is like, look, I don't know if you ever watch like courtroom drama television, <laughs> but you're just going to have to believe me when you burst through those doors, it is going to Have you guys ever everything. seen The Staircase? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Respect for Gullivec there for like taking the time He's got to, all to make that the, right. Uh, he, he knows how to play it for drama. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season two, episode 21, The Maquis, part two. Cisco and Gul Dukat join forces in an effort to avert a war between the Cardassians and a group of Federation colonists less led by Cisco's old friend. And of course, uh, our friends at Netflix always have a way of describing these things as well. And in this case, they describe it as the Maquis Part 2, Cisco, Kira, and Bashir are held in a Maquis camp, but Gul Dukat is not there. <laughs> Related to the first one, like I feel like an easy pitch for any show or movie is like, what happens when we pair two unlikely allies? Yeah. And that's what we're going to get. Yeah, it's a real, uh, it's a, it's like a buddy cop team up where one is uh, a straight shooting fresh out of the academy rookie and the other one does not play the by the rules but he gets results indeed ben oh indeed well that'll be next week uh do you want to find out how if any way we will be doing that show adam oh boy ben it looks like we're on square 65 you're required to learn as you play roll 65 it is uh we could hit a corks bar if we if we roll errantly or well if uh depending on how you look at it yeah i'm gonna uh shake this up and roll it why don't you (laughs) shit adam i I rolled a three (laughs) drink is the antidote that means our next episode is uh, from the vantage point of Square 68, a Quark's Bar. Oh, goody. Do you know what you might be drinking for that episode, Adam? Well, uh, I think I do. I think I have a great idea of what I'll be drinking. Uh, should... I, we've never done this, like like give the people a, ahead of time a thing to drink along with. Do, you wanna, do we want to go out of our way and do that? Uh, I'm planning on drinking some Casamigos Mezcal. Oh. Which is my new favorite mezcal uh, from uh, from our pal George Clooney. I didn't think that I would well, love it. Well, it's formerly of George Clooney, right? Didn't he sell it for like he, $4 billion? Did he divest? His his signature's on the label. I think he sold it for like a shit ton of money. And, oh, man. Uh, a year or two ago. Gotta say, even if he's out of the game, uh, what remains... It's a very tasty bottle, so I think I'm at least going to start with that and then probably back it up with a couple beers. Right on. What about you? Uh, I could do, I could do that hang. I, I've got a, a bottle of Bozal Mezcal that uh, I, I uh, shared a glass of that with you when you were here, and I've been really enjoying that. So maybe I'll do the Mezcal and Mexican import beer hang as well. Yeah, that Bozal is, is great stuff. 
So yeah, that's all by way of saying uh, we're not angling for a sponsorship, but <laughs> uh, if you work at a distillery that produces fine mezcal, I don't think we would uh, kick any of that out of bid. No. We would fuck the shit out of that mezcal. <laughs> All right, that'll be the next episode. In the meantime, uh, you can talk to us online. There is uh, the Greatest Gen hashtag on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Benjamin R A H R. Uh, think twice before you click send, because uh, we are humans with feelings, and things that only seem mildly insulting to you come across as very insulting to us sometimes. Yeah, there's a there's such a thing as being too familiar. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think one other thing I want to say, uh, we do also have an email address. It's uh, drunkshimoda at gmail.com. I think I'm going to pivot that into a message that goes like this. We read every email that comes in there, but uh, no guarantee of a reply, given the volume of messages that we get there. I don't, it's just, uh, it's, we appreciate all the kind things that people say and send to us there, but um, yeah. It is, uh, I, I recently cleaned out 600 messages that were in there, and now I think we're, we're getting close to that again. It's just a giant, giant thing, so. It's fairly relentless, and uh, that is, like, please do not take it personally if we can't get to it. It's just, like, uh, not enough hours in a day kind of, kind of an issue. Yeah. And uh, we'd like to focus as much of our time as we can on uh, making a really fun podcast, so... Um, thank you for everybody that sends stuff in and especially if you you know have uh, have thoughts that you'd like to share about the show or just uh, personal experience you want to relate um, that uh, it's uh, we do read all of it so thank you there's also a Facebook group and a Reddit sub and I think like Slack channels and Twitch channels and things if you want to get into the hangs online um, there's also a Maximum Fun subreddit that uh, there's a thread about every show on, and uh, I think those are also that's also a fun place to hang out with uh, non dicks on the internet. If you haven't left Twitter yet, our card daddy <laughs> Bill Tilly at Bill Tilly 1973 makes uh, super fun cards for every episode that we do on the show. So make that a part of your enjoyment of the Greatest Generation, won't you? And if you enjoy The Greatest Generation, why not go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review? Uh, those reviews help us find new viewers, and more viewers means more touring and more time that we can spend on the program. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which pairs one host straight out of the Academy... <laughs> who, uh, who's a straight shooter who plays by the rules and uh, and Ben Harrison who doesn't play by the rules but gets results MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.